The thing went pear-shaped. After about two years, our friendly mafia guys decided that they, they wanted to take over the entire business. No, not just our business, but there were nightclubs involved and supermarket chains and like all these Irish companies. And we were all under the one umbrella. Mm-hmm. But the mafia guys came in and they just literally wiped out our businesses, took everything from us and marched us basically to the airports. And we were told never to return. This is a GK Media podcast. Michael Connor, owner of the multi-award winning Hair and Beauty Salon, Bellissimo. Thank you so much for joining me on Gary Talks. You're very welcome, Gary. I'm delighted to be invited. I'm delighted that you've come in. Yeah. The first time we met properly, so we've met over the years, but we met at a Goy Races event earlier this year. We were sitting beside each other, which was a, a launch for the summer festival of the Goy Races, and just clicked with you straight away. And I said, I have to get Mike on the show. So... Yeah, well, I think it was, it was, that's a mutual thing, Gary. <laughs> <laughs> and then I just couldn't really believe time. all the stories then and the history, yeah. hair raising stuff yeah. of uh, what you've done and what you've had to face over the years. So yeah. I'm really excited about delving into yeah. uh, your story in business. You're over 30 years yep. in, in business. Yeah, I'm 35 years now, Gary, um, this year. So I started in 1988 in a little small salon down on Cross Street um, called Michael Daniels. I was only 19 years of age, so I was only out of the womb, basically. Mm. <laughs> and was it yeah. strange for a bloke starting up a hair salon in the 80s in Galway? Yeah, it was actually. But um, I don't know. I During my school years, I went to the Bish. And from 1980 to 1985, I did my leave insert. But I was surrounded by a great group of buddies and friends. And we we were the we were the crack of the school. Um, you'd know most of my buddies from school. Uh, Mike Burke, Alan Shields, Glenn Ward, all those guys around town. We were a really tight knit group of buddies in school. And during my junior cert at the time, I said to the guys, my mam wants me to get into hairdressing. And they kind of laughed at me because that wasn't a thing the guys were doing in yeah. the 80s. I listened to my mum, <laughs> as I always did. Was she a hairdresser? <laughs> no, she was just a just a brilliant, 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 brilliant woman. Um, she was so innovative, creative. Um, she was an artist, actually. But she just she just had a vision for me and she knew my personality. This was going to work. I was a hairdresser born and bred. I mean, my personality, it suited me. I was well able to chat to the ladies, um, <laughs> even, <laughs> even at the age of 15. So I went working with my cousin, Dave Gallagher, who had a, a very successful salon called David Charles at the time. And his sister, Donna, my other cousin, trained me. So I qualified within like nine months to a year. I, I really went like full at it. I, I was in school, obviously, working part time jobs, but I was working part time in the hair salon in Ballyban is where I started. And I just loved the job. I absolutely loved it. I look forward to every Saturday going in there for my two pounds wages or whatever mm. I was getting at the time. But I was just delighted to be doing it because I really enjoyed the job. Whether I was ever going to be good at hairdressing, I don't know. But I just loved the actual career. And my mom was so delighted that I was doing it. She was able to get her hair done at home. She was delighted, you know. Um, um, but so what's, what's the thrill of it? What do you love about it? I don't know. It's just when you walk into a hair salon, when you work in a hair salon, it's, it's the environment, it's the excitement, it's the buzz. Everybody comes in there, you know, people can walk into a hair salon feeling very low and they're going to walk out with their their head held high because they look fab. Mm. And that's basically it. And as a hairdresser, I'm not a hairdresser anymore, but back in the day when I was hairdressing, you'd feel so good about making somebody feel 
good about themselves. Yeah. Plus, my personality, it, it just worked. I, I was maybe empathetic. You know, I, I had that kind of streak, that nature to me. So people could talk to me, you know, and I found that, that you know, like people that sit in your chair and they'd actually, they'd open up and I was very discreet. I was very kind. You know, that was, that's my kind of personality. So it just worked. And I built a clientele very quickly, but I, I qualified very quickly. I qualified within a year. So like the lads in school, I was actually qualifying as a hairdresser when I was doing my leave insert. And the lads were kind of going, you know, Jesus, that's a really unusual career for, for, for a guy. Mm. That's to answer your question. It was a very unusual career in the 80s. It's not anymore, yeah. but it was in the 80s. And, um, but I was very proud of it, you know, and I, I used to, to be like pretend that I was a colorist to the guys when I were in, when I was in leave insert. I wasn't a colorist. <laughs> I could put a highlighting cap on and pull highlights through the, and that was it, you know, mixed bleach. That was all I could do. But yes, you could pretend you were a, a senior stylist when I was 17 years of age. And that kind of carried through to 1988 when I was 19. And I I was in my friend's house, Lorraine Connolly, and the two of us sat there and Lorraine Casterly you now. And the back of a cornflakes box, I literally did out the figures on how to open a hair salon because I wanted to open my own salon. And of course, my mom uh, was so much behind this. She just loved the idea of me going into business, opening a salon. And that's what I did. So at 19 years of age, I opened the open Michael Daniels. And of course, the lads, oh, yes, it was unusual, but the lads were so proud of me because I was probably the first out of all the guys to go into business, you know, at the time, albeit that it was hairdressing, you know. Yeah. So you didn't study yeah. business or anything then afterwards? No, no, not at all. Just straight into it? Yeah, I never went to college. Um, I got a reasonable leaving cert. I always pretended I got a brilliant leaving cert, but I didn't actually. <laughs> I found the leaving cert results recently and I was pretty shocked. <laughs> <laughs> I've told everybody over the years I got three A's, two B's, and a C. <laughs> I know. I got three C's, two D's, and an E. <laughs> what but, was the E in? But, <laughs> I think I think it was business. I <laughs> know <laughs> uh, it was like, <laughs> but yeah, my leave insert. And actually, I play golf a little bit now. And uh, three of my golf buddies are three ex-teachers of mine. And um, we we laughed about that only lately when I did actually find my leaving search results. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> they weren't great. But you know what? You don't need to go to college. You know, I've discovered, I found mm. that out over my my career in business over the last 35 did years. you say that's your children? Um, yes and no. I mean, Molly, Molly is 21 now and she's gone into her fourth year in doing financial maths um, and economics in college. And like, it's a difficult, difficult course, very, very, very tough course, but she's doing brilliantly at it and she's a great kid and she's very academic. Hmm. Michael, on the other hand, is 19. He's gone into hairdressing now as well. He's a barber. He's he's renting his own chair and his own salon, building his clientele and he's the happiest guy in Ireland. But he went to college for like two weeks and he just he, he pulled out of it. He just didn't want to go. He didn't want to go there, yeah. you know, so I wasn't going. To, we weren't going to force him. Maria would prefer if he was if he had gone to college. At the end of the day, I probably would prefer if he had gone to college, but there's no point in pushing pushing a kid when when they just don't want to do that. And he is he's like me; he is very creative, and he's he has a head on his shoulders, and he's great fun, and he's a great personality. So the career is going to suit him. So you're back in eighties in, yeah. in Galway and Cross Street, which is just around the corner from Key Street. Yes, and I remember Key Street in the eighties. Yeah. It's not the Key Street we know today. It was very derelict, very run down. Yeah. So you're starting off when there's a huge recession in the country, starting a business. You know how to hairdress, yeah. but you don't know anything about business with respect. Yeah, correct. What were those early years like? They were strange. Yeah. And you're dead right. Key Street was not Key Street. You had McDonald's and the Keys, but they weren't the same McDonald's and the same McDonald's Fish and Chips or the same Keys. 
you just about had the, like the bunch of grapes was there. You know, there was a couple of little businesses, but then all of a sudden they built the corn store and mm. where my unit was, where I rented this particular unit. They were, it was all brand new and I felt it was the new centre of the city. You know, when I was 19 years of age, I thought this is going to be the centre of the town. But it never was the centre of the town. Mm. And even to this day, I think, you know, it's 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 a it's a beautiful location, really lovely location in the city centre. But it's hard to pull people off the, <laughs> the main drag, isn't it? Yeah. Like, it's just a nightmare. So when I was there in 1988, it was it was difficult times, Gary. I mean, that was you're dead right. It was serious recession interest rates were three times what they are now and we're panicking about the interest rates as as like sitting here today we're panicking about interest rates but at that time I borrowed 10,000 euros or 10,000 pounds old money at the time to open that salon and dad fair play to him came in and signed for guaranteed that money but it was a lot of money and I was you know putting my neck on the line here this this had to work but I opened with six stylists or six staff Wow. Uh, yeah. You didn't just start off one. on your own. No, 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 no. I went all out. This wasn't, I wasn't hanging around. <laughs> so I opened the f- day one. Um, I had six staff and then within a couple of weeks, we had another two hired. You know, I hired another two. So now we'd, I had eight staff. And were you not getting stressed? And I wasn't, I wasn't. You see, I, I suppose at 19 years of age, you don't really think of the, the you, you yeah. don't, you don't think about the, the, the big picture really. You know, my, everything I thought about was what's going to happen today. Let's not worry about tomorrow, but what's going to happen today? And like to this day, I look back on it and I like I I had balls, Mm -hmm. you know, I mean, I really had balls because there were very few people that were going into business that time. And like I was 19 years of age, it's like it's quite young. I see Michael Jr. is 19 now and I can imagine I was his age when I was opening up and employing people, but it worked, you know. Okay, the first few years were difficult and there were times I couldn't pay the rent or there was, you know, X, Y and Z happened, but I struggled on and we got through it, you know, and I was surrounded by a great bunch of buddies and friends. And plus the fact that there weren't a lot of hair salons at the time. Ken Wakefield was there at the time. He was a big salon. He was, I don't know, do you remember? Ken yeah, Wakefield I do. Salon. Yeah. He was in the Corbett Court. Super salon. But that's all I wanted to be was as busy as Ken Wakefield. And I got there, mm. <laughs> you know, and so I, I, I ran that. Oh, and actually, I was so ambitious uh, a year later, um, I don't even bring this up anymore, but a year later, I went to Castle Bar and I opened a tiny salon in Castle Bar. So now I had two salons and I was only 20. Well, you know, another Michael Daniels. Another Michael Daniels, yeah. yeah. In, yeah, in Castle Bar. Now that didn't really last. That lasted about a year <laughs> or maybe a year and a half. And what went wrong there? Just there was no business in Castle Bar. It was a country town at the mm. time. And, you know, it was just, and plus it was very difficult to get staff. Um, as it is now, but <clears throat> that time it was incredibly difficult to get to get hair, hairdressers. Is it because so, they weren't qualified? Because again, yeah, there wasn't many jobs around then, so you, you yeah. would have expected yeah. people knocking on your door. Yeah, but there weren't. Yeah, there weren't that many salons, but there weren't that many hairdressers either. You know, I think maybe over the following five, ten years, maybe up to nineteen ninety eight, which is twenty five years ago, I noticed a huge influx of hairdressers in this city. Because when I opened Bellissimo ten years later, in nineteen ninety eight there was any amount of hairdressers in town and you could take your pick and you you would get those hairstylists. Yeah. So it was like a curve, you know, it's it, 1988 when I opened up first, there was nobody here. Ten years later, there were lots of hairdressers in the city. And I think people moved from Dublin, moved from different places. They came to Galway and 
we were able to, we had the pick of the crop, you know. But um, but Castle Bar in 1989, 34 years ago, it was it was a tiny town, really. It was, you know, it was a country town, just a slow town. And it just didn't work for me, but that was okay. I, it was but that must have hit you financially. It did, but I obviously... At the time, I didn't invest a huge amount of money in it. You know, it was, it was, and Wella actually, I've been with Wella, the hair company, for 35 years. They were my product supplier from day one. And I remember at the time, Peter Fanning, he's, he's a very good friend of mine. He was, he was one of the main Wella reps at the time. And he, when I was closing Castle Bar, he came in and he just completely helped me by selling the equipment, you know, whatever was there, we sold it to make sure we didn't owe any money to anybody. And it, it worked fine, you mm-hmm. know, and then I came back back to Michael Daniels, um, kicked off again. I was getting a bit of a reputation around for being in business. Maybe four or five years later, a guy came to me and he wanted to, um, he had this big um, ambition about opening a hair salon in Moscow, in Russia. I think I told you about that. I think we might have been discussing that at the races. (laughs) It was very ambitious. It was a big project. We were under a group called Irlasto, which were like the Orienta group, they, they were opening a, a string of different businesses all over Moscow after Perestroika when when Russia op- opened up the economy yeah. basically. So myself and two two guys, two investors, um, went out there. Three of us went there, and um, I operated the business there for two years, basically under the guidance of the mafia in Russia. <laughs> if, you, if you want to put it, <laughs> in other words, <laughs> this is a bit mad now. This story, yeah. So you opened up a hair salon in Moscow. Yeah. And you were never there previously on holidays or anything like that. Never, ever, ever there. Um, this uh, The mid-90s, about 93, 92, 93. So you're taking the business international. Yeah, yeah. At 22 years of age or whatever whatever I was. And and there's definitely a cultural difference there that you're beginning to notice. Oh, my God, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. But like, you see, once they opened the economy there, there was a lot of money to be spent in Moscow. And my partner that came to me, my the two partners that came to me about this project, I suppose I was a rep, I was getting a reputation for being a, inverted commas, a businessman, a young guy, ambitious. I'd opened a couple of salons and they kind of had me earmarked for this project. So I was delighted to take on this project. And I did move to Moscow for the best part of two years over and back. You know, I, yeah. I kept the salon operating in Cross Street. But I was this international <laughs> businessman dealing with the mafia in Moscow at the same time. It was like a double life. Really how weird. are you dealing with the mafia? How did they get involved? So how they got involved was that you couldn't open a business in Russia at that time unless you had Russian partners. So the Russian partners that we were involved with, we didn't really know, but they were a group called the Sansevo Mafia, and they're a very big commercial mafia um, group of guys who were businessmen. They weren't bandit mafia, you know, mm-hmm. like going around shooting people. But but you wouldn't cross them either, if you know what I mean. It's like they were they were mafia. We got involved with them. And did you know from the get go that these were intimidating individuals? We knew they were intimidating. Yeah, but having said that, they were very nice guys. Believe it or not, they actually were very very good guys. They were nice guys. I wouldn't say good guys. They were nice guys. But, but did they have to put money into the business? Then no, as well? no, no, absolutely not. So it, is it protection money or? It's, you know what it was? It, it'd be like um, a 40, 60 deal if you, if you put it this way, right? So we'd, we invested all the money. 
we spent no serious money. We spent like a quarter of a million Irish pounds on the project at the time, which was enormous money. I mean, enormous money. But we opened the most beautiful salon in the world in looking out. You look out the, the window, you're looking at Red Square, you know, it was wow. like you were right on right on the Kremlin. But it was just stunning. And the salon was snow white. Everything was it was just so pristine, so beautiful. We brought Irish staff over. Some of them have worked for me in Bellissimo since, you know, like we brought over Irish staff and we opened up. But the idea was that we operate the business, but our partners um, were the protection, number one. So they protected us like you'd always have an armed person with you when you'd be going to a bar or, you know, if I was going to put as a director of the company, you'd, you'd sort of have a, well, if you want to call it a bodyguard, you know, you, you'd, you'd always have somebody with you. It was very unusual, surreal life mm. for... And what, who, who were they protecting yeah. you from? Well, I suppose they're protecting you from other mafia, number one. <laughs> I have a very funny story about that, actually. <laughs> but they're protecting you from other mafia. And they're also, they're also protecting their interests because, like, if anything happens to me, the business could suffer. So, and they have a 60% share or a 50% share in this business. So they want to make sure that the Irish guys are protected and they're looked after. You know, we'd always have a driver, for instance, there'd be a guy sitting outside that waiting in a car. So if I wanted to go up the street, you have to go with this guy and you go up the street. Generally, in the early days, they were always armed. Like you'd always have a guy with a gun very close by. It was surreal for for a young guy from Newcastle in, in, yeah. in Galway to be out in Moscow with this environment, you know. But the thing went pear-shaped. After about two years, our friendly mafia guys decided that they wanted to take over the entire business. No, not just our business, but there were nightclubs involved and supermarket chains and like all these Irish companies. And we were all under the one umbrella. Okay. But the mafia guys came in and they just literally wiped out our businesses, took everything from us and marched us basically to the airports. And we were told never to return. So obviously I've never gone back to Moscow since. But I'm looking forward to going back there someday <laughs> once this war is over. You know, wow. Yeah, it was a very unusual, very mad story. But these guys, look, at they were very nice guys. We were at some seriously brilliant parties. We were, you know, it was an amazing life. We got to see um, different bands, for instance, in in the Duma, in the Kremlin, the Gypsy Kings. I'm sure oh, you yeah, yeah. remember the Gypsy Kings. Well, the original Gypsy Kings, there was 400 of us invited to a Gypsy King live performance in the Duma, which is like the doll in Dublin. So we're sitting in the in the TDs seats watching the Gypsy Kings at a party with these with these mafia crazy guys. Do you know, it was just such an unusual, unusual situation. And did, you know? did they buy you out or you, no, you they just walked out the door with nothing? They ran us out. Um, yeah, they literally took over. They did a very clever commercial move by purchasing the properties that all these businesses, all of our businesses were in. And then they multiplied the rents overnight. So it meant that we couldn't afford to stay in business in Moscow any longer. There was a commercial move, really, mm. you know, but we refused, obviously, to bow down, you know. So we I arrived out there Um we all a lot of the different directors and the different companies arrived out there on one particular day. And we were literally turned around at, at the at the businesses and marched to the airports. And I had to fly to somewhere like Sweden to get out of there because we probably would have been shot. I don't know, you know, but look at I don't I. I it was a very exciting time for me and it gave me this big ambition to open Bellissimo. So that's <laughs> <laughs> Instead of just retiring and saying, that's it, I, yeah. you know, I, I'm going to work in yeah. done stores or something yeah, and just have a quiet yeah. life. Yeah, no, it's, that's not for me. And actually, there's a very funny story. I was in the salon in Moscow one time and uh, 
the phone, um, one of the receptionists said to me, Mike, there's a guy um, on the phone calling from Georgia, one of the, <laughs> another state in, yeah. in Russia, another country. So I went upstairs to the office and I took the call and it was this Russian guy and he goes, oh, I hear you are operating a very big business. I am from whatever group, obviously another mafia group, and we want to open a chain of your salon in Georgia. So I said, yeah, give me your number and I'll, I'll get back to you. So... Um, I'll think about it. <laughs> we'll, we'll arrange a coffee someday. <laughs> so anyway, I said it to um, our present Russian partners. I said, have you heard of this guy, Gary, <laughs> who, who's called me from Georgia? And <laughs> the Russian partner said to me, oh, no, stay away from that guy. He's crazy. <laughs> and here, here I am talking to like the craziest mafia people you can imagine on the planet. And he's telling me, this guy, oh no, stay away from him. He's crazy. <laughs> but is it that you were seen as like a clean businessman and people were trying yeah. to use you as a front to do whatever they wanted in the background? Yeah, it was that. But on top of that, I think it was our knowledge and our expertise because at the time, the Russians were very backward, maybe. Yeah. Uh, you know, you wouldn't have any superstar hairdressers over there. You wouldn't, you know, but we were bringing this international feel to the place, you know, in an international hair salon to the centre of Moscow City. We were charging enormous, enormous um, prices for our for our service. But like our, our clientele was made up of mafia wives, prostitutes, you know, people with real money. You know, that's the, the it's the only way to describe it. Yeah. Like that, that was our clientele. But it was a really exciting bank owners, you know, like people that own banks. They were they were the clientele. They were, it's just such a different country. So it, at the time, it was such a different country. It was so weird. And you'd have those women confiding in you then as well. Oh yeah, absolutely. So what yeah. sort of stories were they yeah. telling you? Well, you wouldn't get any of the nitty gritty. You know, you wouldn't get any of the serious stories. Yeah. You know, what was going on? But like, you just get a you you get the real feel of Moscow in the nineties. You know, and it was such an unusual place to be because. Once once they opened up the economy, people just went crazy spending money, you know, and some very, very big businesses opened there. You know, all the Gucci, all the all the big shops started to open up mm. within all, all, all around the same time as we did. You know, like the city boomed, Moscow City boomed and it, like it really is an incredible city. It's it's a place that everybody needs to visit at yeah. some stage in their lives. I mean, I don't know how many years it's going to be before this war finishes, but like Moscow City was an incredible place. Like incredible. And it was really exciting for me as a 20 something year old to be over there surrounded by this environment that was so weird. And, you know, and Maria, I was I was going out with Maria at the time and I'd I'd fly to Moscow for a week, fly home for a week, fly to Moscow for two weeks, fly home for two weeks. And it went on like 40 or 50 flights, 40 or 50 trips. And Maria, I, I couldn't tell Maria half of the stories at the time because <laughs> I wouldn't be allowed back. <laughs> you know? But it was really exciting. And it gave me this, it opened my mind to big business in Ireland. Yeah. And I think that's really what happened. It, it, Moscow really developed me as, as, as a serious businessman. You know, it showed me the real, how you can make real money in business because it was so different, you know, and it's like like Mikey Jr. I'd love to see Mikey Jr. going to Moscow. I'd love to see Mikey Jr. going to New York, I'd, you know, because population is what it's about. And OK, Galway is an amazing place to live. I wouldn't want to live anywhere else and I never have wanted to live anywhere else. But we don't have the population here for yeah. big, big, big business like you do in the big cities, you know. And um, so that's that Moscow was an amazing experience, even though we lost everything. And is that but salon still open today there? To this day, it is still open, would you believe? Okay. And 
I know that because one of our receptionists married the accountant that we had over there, Liam and Masha. And they are both living in Galway, actually, in the last couple of years. They've moved back from Russia with their kids, two great people. And they, so Masha fills us in, Maria is her name, but Masha, we always call her. But she fills us in about the salon sometimes and that it's, you know, when she's in Moscow, she still visits and you see, you know, some of the girls I think are still there that used to work with me 30 years ago, you know, they're still there. Yeah, so it's amazing. Big, big story. And is that mafia still around? No, they were all shot. (laughs) (laughs) They actually were, genuinely. These people, the the two guys, Victor and Dimitri were their two names. And both of those guys were both assassinated within a couple of years of us being thrown out of Russia. By another mafia? Oh, yeah. Yeah, absolute mafia wars. Yeah, yeah. Both of them. One guy was assassinated in his car driving down Gorky Street, as we know it. Main Street, his car pulled up and he was just assassinated on the street. I, I read about it actually in the the paper, somebody sent me a link at the time and I managed to find the, the story and the other guy was similar, assassinated. So it's it's bizarre. I don't know who owns the salon now or the I don't want the to business know group. <laughs> well, you know, I'd love to go back to Russia. I'd love yeah. to go back to Moscow and I'd love to actually walk into that into that salon because it was such an incredible place. It was called Trestles. Okay. It was an amazing salon. One of the first in the world, you know, amazing. So was, yeah. so there was a, a group from Ireland who went over and tried some nightclubs and shops and hair salons and so on. Yes. So were the English doing that, the French, the, like was the loads of European countries descended on Moscow? There, there may have been, but not as big as the Irish. And this group called Irlasto, they were our umbrella company, our umbrella group. And Irlasto brought lots of different businesses from Irish. They, they were an Irish company, an Irish company based in Limerick, but they brought us in as the hair and beauty side of it. They brought somebody else in for a supermarket chain, very similar to like a, a super value chain. They were called Garden Ring, actually, because they were on the, the ring roads of Moscow. They opened up maybe 10 or 12 big, big, big supermarkets. And they were the first supermarkets actually in Moscow to open up. Like you you wouldn't find a supermarket in Moscow. Yeah. They used to do rotisserie chicken, for instance, which was so unusual and so new. Um, they'd have rotis- rotisserie chickens. We had rotisserie chicken every lunch for, okay. <laughs> for two years because it was the only nice food you could get. But, you know, the likes of um, Rosie O'Grady bars, um, all the, the, the usual. The, there was two nightclubs opened. Um, Lily Wong's Chinese in Limerick uh, went out there. They opened up a few Chinese restaurants. Like there was a lot of business involved. And all those businesses were just thrown out of Moscow. All on the same day. Wow. Mm, every one of us, yeah. We were all marched out of the out of the city. Literally marched out of the city. Because they took it they took it over they took it on overnight, you know. Wow. Yeah, it was fascinating. Yeah. Now there was a big it went to the Supreme Courts in Europe to try and fight legally get our businesses back. But that went on for about maybe nine, ten months. But we I think the directors that were involved in fighting the case discovered that there was no point in throwing good money after bad. We were never going to get these businesses back because these Russian partners had purchased the buildings and they they were now the landlords. But so it probably you, wouldn't you know, even be safe to go back, even if you want a case in court. Absolutely not. You're right. It wouldn't have been safe. And in fact, I would never have gone back. Yeah. You know, I did get a scare. I it was a very exciting scare to get, but I did get a scare and it, it was quite frightening. Obviously, it was frightening, you know, but um, but you know what? Two, three, four, definitely four of the Irish of my gang, my staff stayed there and they got jobs in different places, but they weren't directors. So they weren't under any threat, we'll say. 
Yeah. You know, one girl who worked for me, she was managing the salon, but she she stayed in the salon for a couple of months after we were gone. But then she got a job somewhere else. The accountant went working for one of the big oil companies over there, I think. Uh, he got a great job and he's been he was there for 20 years, you know, made a seriously good life for himself in Moscow. So like it, it's not all bad. Yeah. But for us, there was no way I could go back. There was no way I could have gone back into Russia three months later. No. You would you would have been shot. You yeah. would have been assassinated. There's no question. But look, at, I wasn't going to go back anyway. And I, I never felt threatened here. You yeah, know, I wasn't yeah. going to. I came back, back to Michael Daniels in Cross Street. <laughs> back to my 10 staff. So, so we're in yeah. the, the mid-90s now, is yeah. it? And the Celtic Tiger the is mm. just kicking off in Ireland. Yeah. So for those who don't, I mean, everyone knows the Celtic Tiger, but Galway specifically, there was... I think it might have been something like 91, 92, and then it skipped to year 94. Galway was the fastest growing city in Europe. Yeah, that's right. It really was. So like the Galway that you see today, for us, we remember most of it was just fields. Yeah, yeah. Um, so the place <clears throat> was absolutely booming. Yeah, it was. So a great time, I suppose, to yeah. and, expand. Yeah. And Michael Daniels was really busy at the time. Like I had a really good shop going, fantastic staff. A lot of them are still with me, believe it or not. I have staff, I have some people that are working with me for the best part of 35 years and wow. still working there in Bellissimo today. And they're just amazing people. But I was lucky to, to hold on to people, you know, yeah. I suppose it was my ethos and business. I, I knew what I wanted to do and I knew where I was going. And when, you're right, when the Celtic Tiger kicked off, when things started to to boom, even though it wasn't quite Celtic Tiger that time, you know, but I, I, after the Moscow experience, I had this ambition that it was going to be, I was going all in. I was going to open this huge salon. Nothing was going to stop me. Where I was going to get the money to do it, I didn't know. I had a little bit of money put aside, but not what I, I knew this was going to cost a lot of money to open, open Bellissimo in the Gorita Park. So myself and Maria, we got married in 1997. So and Maria is equally as ambitious as I was. And she worked for Jerry Barrett, the property developer, for years and years and years at, up to, at this stage. And like she was a very ambitious person herself. So between the two of us, we sat in a little van that we owned and we drove down to the Gorita Park and sat outside Smith's Toys. Mm. And I could see this unit was vacant, which is now where Bellissimo is and Harry Curry's. We got to discover who owned it. It was Joe Hanley, the Hanley menswear. Okay, yeah. Absolute gentleman. One of the nicest people I've ever dealt with in my life. So I met Joe and he was so good. I think he saw, again, a young, ambitious 28-year-old, 29-year-old wanting to do something big. So I took I, I took the leap and just signed the dotted line. And le at the time, I leased the property from Joe. Mm. And we went in and we opened this enormous yeah. hair salon, which was different then than it is now. At the time, there was a cafe there. I opened a cafe um, all in the one in the one building. Yeah. So there was a cafe, there was a barbershop, there was a kids barbershop, there was a big hair salon, there was multiple beauty rooms, there was a gym. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> it's a huge space. Yeah, it's a big space. Well, at the time it was really big. Mm. I'd prefer if I had twice the space now, but okay. at the time it was five and a half, it's five and a half thousand square feet. So it's quite a large salon. And I was after coming from 750 square feet. So it was oh, yeah. like six, seven, eight times the size. You know, it's a, it's a, it was a big jump. But I opened the open, opened Bellissimo um, on the 10th anniversary of Michael Daniel opening on the day. And I, so I finished the lease in the Cross Street shop. And the following day, 
we opened Bellissimo and off we off we went <laughs> <laughs> for another adventure. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, <till> I tell you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So that was 1998. All the staff came with me. We had a fantastic clientele. Everything moved over to Bellissimo. My brother, Ray O'Connor from Proactive, got Oh, right. I never knew your brothers. Oh, yeah. That Ray is my mad. brother. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Of course, you'd have to know him. So. I know him from the, the Connor Marathon. Right. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's right. So Michael Daniels was the old salon. But what I discovered in business that time was that everybody that came in the door of Michael Daniels wanted Michael to do their hair. Yeah. They didn't want Gary to do their hair because your name wasn't over the door. Yeah. So I sat around a table like this with Ray and some of his team at the time. And I said, right, I'm open to this big monstrous hair salon, but it can't be called Michael Daniels. And I don't want my name associated because I don't want everybody coming in the door asking for Mike to do their hair. Yeah. So we came up with the idea of Bellissimo and Bellissimo means beautiful. It's the Italian for beautiful. And I said, right, that's it. It's the most perfect name for Bellissimo because it is beautiful. Mm. So with Ray's help, we put a very clever marketing campaign behind the whole thing at the, at the start. A very clever marketing. We invented, we were the first to come up with Pamper Hampers, for instance. The Pamper Hamper was uh, like, it was it was unique. It was head to toe treatments that people, you know, would come to Bellissimo at nine in the morning and not leave until four in the afternoon and have treatments from head to toe. Wow. And a lunch in the middle. And it was so unique. And Oh, I remember the first Christmas we sold like a thousand vouchers uh, for Bellissimo Pamper Hampers and it became a really big thing. But then all the big, all the big stores, like I was really proud because all the big stores, the Brown Thomases, you know, whoever mm. out there, they all started to, everybody started doing Pamper Hampers the following year. <laughs> <laughs> so everywhere you went, there was a Pamper Hamper this or a Pamper Hamper yeah. that. So we had to pull away from the Pamper Hamper because everybody was doing Pamper Hampers. But that was our that was our concept. It was us that came up with it. Yeah. And, but it really put Bellissimo on the map at the time in 1998, which is exactly 25 years ago because we were 25 years open mm. just a few weeks ago. So, um, but it put Bellissimo on the map and it showed everybody like, you see, there were, if you think back to that time as well, any of the hotels, they didn't have like spa, spa treatments were only getting popular in Ireland at that time. And I was trying to be a hair salon with an attached spa, you know, so you could come and literally have your hair done, have your toes done and have everything else done in between and relax and enjoy it. But as years have gone on, we've pulled away from the spa treatments and we're now more day to day treatments mm. because that's where the business is for me, you know. Um, but at the time, it was very unique because nobody else was doing it. It was like our Moscow story. Nobody else was doing it. And Bellissimo just instantly, it was like a light switch going on in the city. It was incredible the business we did. In and and did days. you have any partners involved in this business? No. No, no from no. Moscow or Anthem, no. No, 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 no. <laughs> you could go to the bunch of graves no. unguarded. Uh, you know, no, 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 no. Just myself and Maria. <laughs> <laughs> no, it was like, because again, it was such, it was such a unique idea, you know. I, I'm actually very proud of it that I thought of it. Yeah. <laughs> and going back to the start of our conversation, it wasn't, it didn't come from college, you know. I wasn't, college educated in marketing or in business or but I just knew what would work and it did work and it was brand new concept to the city and you know it's been like lots of people have tried to replicate it but it's impossible really to replicate Bellissimo because it's it's too big if it, to replicate in in a funny way you'd have to invest oh it probably cost you seven or eight hundred thousand euros to open a, a basic Bellissimo shop now you know and 
it'd be very, it'd be, it'd be a big ask for anybody to go and do that now, you know. In fact, I'd advise anybody against it because it's just too much of an investment, you know. You know, this is an interesting conversation because I, I knew you were coming in this morning, so I went and I got my hair done today yeah. for you. <laughs> looks great. <laughs> Thank you. Um, and I was talking to my barber and I was asking her about someone who used to work with her before saying, how was her? Yeah. She went off running her own business and I said, oh, how is she getting on? And she said, oh, she actually closed the business there last year. Okay. And I said, oh, there's a lot of businesses, you know, barbers and hair salons closing at the moment. And she just said to me, and there's a lot more that oh, will yeah. be closing. Yeah. And she's dead, right? Yeah, she, she really is dead, right? Because things have gone completely out of hand cost wise for small businesses. It's just honestly, I don't know how anybody. So is, it's is like insurance, life. electricity, yeah. that yeah. I suppose has gone up. The VAT has gone up now. Yeah, four and a half percent. That's that's a big killer. Um, OK, prices have gone up. I'd say 99 percent of salons had to increase their prices yeah. a, a month ago, understandably, to, to cover the VAT increase. But it's not just that. It's the cost of product has gone up. Um, all the main suppliers have gone up by minimum 10, 11% this year. Like that's, it mightn't sound like a lot of money, but I tell you, when you're paying your your supplier bills at the mm. end of each month, you add a 10% charge to that, uh, an increase to that, it's criminal. Insurance has gone through the roof. Rents are really expensive. People can't afford to stay open. You know, it's like, I, I, I really do feel sorry for, I feel really sorry for a lot of businesses out there. From a businessman, point of view, yeah. it's probably an okay thing for me because like we'll, we'll survive. Luckily enough, I have the business, I have the staff, you know, I did a couple of very clever things over the last couple of years to kind of ring fence my, my business, i.e. solar. We, I, I did a huge solar project about two years ago in, at Bellissimo. Two and a half years ago, I put in 210 solar panels on the roof of Bellissimo. Mm. So it's very unique. Again, it was ahead of its curve. So our energy cost is practically zero. I mean, yeah. we've, we have no energy cost at Bellissimo now, thankfully, um, because if I did have an energy cost, you yeah. can see that it's a massive space. Yeah. yeah, it's gone. Yeah, massive space. Five and a half thousand square foot of lights, hair dryers yeah, using yeah. two kilowatts of power. I mean, our wattage, our kilowatt of power being used at Bellissimo on an hourly basis would put the hair standing on the back of your neck because you can imagine all the equipment that's going on there, air conditioning units. I mean, you name it, but our solar is covering it. So ring fenced that, you know, it was a big investment, but it's one of the best things I've ever done in business. And, you know, it really worked out well for me. Luckily, I purchased the building years and years ago. So I've been able to kind of set my own rent. Yeah, I'm not beholding to a landlord that you know, and that's that's what's happening out there. And it's not the landlord's faults. The landlords have their interest rates gone up. They need to charge more rent. It's a vicious circle. Yeah, yeah. I'm you sure know? they're seeing their friend who has a property putting their place up and yeah. getting the money for it. So yeah. they're saying, oh, sure, yeah. I'm a fool not to. And Absolutely. And it's a vicious circle. Mm. And it's crucifying the small business out there. Yeah. Like, and it really genuinely is. But again, put my businessman hat on. It's not a bad thing for me because I might mop up some of the, the people like there are people that are working for themselves that would would be genuinely would be far better off financially if they came and worked for Bellissimo, you know, not being cocky about it, but like you're working for yourself in a small salon. All of your income is going out on your rent, your rates, your electricity, your you name it. Yeah, it's going out. And what you're left with at the end of the week, you should really think about it and say, is that really what it's about just to be self-employed? But, but you can be a really busy fool. Mm, oh, yeah. You know. 
I went into my bank account there last week f- yeah. for the company and I, yeah. I just had this kind of <gasps> moment where I was like, what happened here? And then I went in and I saw like PRSI and, and VAT return came out yeah. the same huge. day yeah. and just a huge chunk just yeah. gone. <laughs> huge. Yeah. Uh, and it's monthly, you yeah, know. I know, it's absolutely criminal. Mm. It really is criminal. It's like, it's really difficult to run a business now. But look, it is what it is. We're in business. Luckily, you're doing exceptionally well in what you're doing. I'm doing okay in what I'm doing. We'll survive. But, you know, I feel sorry for the smaller, smaller operator now, to be honest. It's because it is not easy. So you have all the things with rent going up, insurance, electricity and all that. Yeah. Also, what kind of happened in your industry in the last couple of years was with COVID. Yeah. And then people just went solo themselves who are working as, you know, hairdressers, yeah. you know, operating from home. You know, this is just generally speaking yeah. around the country just carried on yeah. or intended to carry on working from home. So salons lost a lot of people. Others, here's stylists just went and worked in other permanent jobs because no one knew when mm-hmm. retailers could open again. Yeah. So there was a massive void. And now at the same time, no one can get anyone to work for them. Yeah, that's exactly. Because there's so much employment out yeah, there. Yeah, you have your research done. Because <laughs> that is exactly what happened, Gary. Uh, you know, once COVID hit, um, first of all, people sat back and I think everybody took a, bre- took a breath. Mm. I th- It was probably one of the best things that ever happened in a lot of ways for people's state of mind, you know, cut out the rat race for a little while, sit back, enjoy your family, you know, take six weeks off because that's what we thought it was going to be. Yeah. Um, I freaked out. I cried the day I got the phone call from my partner in Limerick. Um, Bellissimo Limerick rang me and he, he said, listen, we're, we're going to have to close here. I said, we're not closing. There's no way we're closing. I'm going to fight this. We're staying open. I don't care about any COVID. I don't care. We're staying open. And Dara said, no, 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 Mike. He said, you, I was actually away on holidays and I just came back. Okay. <laughs> we actually brought COVID to this town. Myself and Sean Costello. And where were you? We were skiing. Oh. And we were skiing in the, the epicenter of the COVID at the time. And actually, Sean, you might remember Sean was one of the first. That's right. Yeah, he got tour. it bad. Didn't he? he did get a bad. He got a bad dose of COVID. And that's time. interesting because you're friends with Sean Costello. Oh, great friends. He's, who's also in the industry. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. We've been buddies for 25 years. Min- no, great. more. 30 years. Because I would have thought if someone is in the industry, you know, could be seen as a competitor. No, that he'd... no, no. You know, first of all, I don't operate that way. You know, my best friends are in the industry. Sean has, ah, oh Jesus, Sean has been one of my best friends for 30 years. We, we, we've been going on holidays the first week of March for, ah, oh, at least 25 years. It's set in the diary. Wow. We have our flights booked already for next year. I mightn't see Sean for three months. I met him yesterday actually for a coffee and it was the first time I'd seen him in maybe three months, but he'd ring every now and then. I'd ring him every now and then. Our two boys are best buddies. It's bizarre, you know? Yeah. yeah but look, uh, the way I operate in my business is uh, like we're a unit, you know, we created this during COVID. We created this WhatsApp group called Galway Salon Owners. And we put as many people as we could get into this group. And during COVID, it was a brilliant support for everybody. And I had a couple of meetings. Actually, actually I organized one or two meetings at Bellissimo because it was a big venue and we could get everybody together. But it's it's a case of like, we're all working this. Okay, everybody is protecting their own business. Mm. You know, obviously there's competition, but I'm there to help anybody. I'm there to help everybody. You give out a little bit of loyalty, you're going to get a bit of loyalty back as well, you know. But no, some of, some of my best friends are, are hairdressers. And yeah, yeah. And Sean being particularly, yeah, he's been a really good friend of mine for a lot of years. A very helpful guy to me when I needed help. He was there. 
That's brilliant because yeah. unfortunately in so many industries there's people constantly sniping at each other and spreading bad rumours about each other's business and yeah. no. And I always feel that there's enough out there for everyone. Well, you want to be very small-minded to be in our industry. And of course, there's a there's that bit of bitching going on and there's always, you know, this stylist left me and went to you and it's always that. But look, just protect your own corner. Get on with your own business. You know, look after your own clients and everybody will be fine. And Mike O'Connor is here to help you if you need help because I've been here for a long, long time. Yeah, yeah. And I've gotten that message out there. You know, I've passed that message around the city. Anybody that needs help, they can call me because I'm not one of those guys that I'm not out to see anybody close down or, you know, yeah. competition wise. It's irrelevant to me. I'm doing my business and I'm really happy with what I'm doing, you know. So and I'll help you if you need help, I'll help you. And a, a rising tide, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. like we all need to help each other. 100%. You know, during COVID, we, we were talking, chatting about COVID at the time. You have your research done because that's exactly what happened. People didn't come back to work. We were off for whatever amount of months the very first time around. And people were slow to come back to work because they'd started to secretly do hair at home. Mm. Do the neighbours, do the cousin, you know, look yeah. after, do the highlights. And all of a sudden, the client got used to this environment, going to somebody's kitchen. Yeah. Paying a lot less money, obviously. And the stylist got used to doing the hair at home and not paying any tax on it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Simple. And, and getting market. the PUP possibly at the time as well. So ah, it was like a win-win. Yeah. 100%. And don't you know, well, they were all at it. Yeah. But like, that's the way it was. That was COVID. But what, what it did do, it was critical to the industry because when we did come back after the entire COVID, now, in fairness, I'm probably one of the only ones that says like the government were exceptionally helpful. I, I can't, I took my hat off mm. to the government the way they handled the, the way they handled COVID in this country. The supports were immense. It was incredible the way I looked after yeah. business when we did come back and open up. But and just to put in perspective, you know, the PUP was a payment of yeah, 350 two, a week. 350 yeah, a week. At the time. I know two people. Yeah in Italy because my wife's Italian yeah. and both of them self-employed yeah. and one of them got a payment from the government of 800 euro for the year and the other person got a payment of 1600 euro for the year that's right. the only financial support that they got, they got from the government yeah. whereas you flip it back to Ireland yeah. you know people were getting 350 a week yeah, yeah it was, I don't know how the country afforded it because mm. it really was incredible the support was absolutely insane but that's why everybody is still up and running. Now, yeah. I haven't said that. I was only listening to a report yesterday that there's been 500 and something um, companies have, have basically closed down over the last short period of time. They were talking about it on News Talk or something yesterday. And it, apparently that's a huge number of closures in business. And The Economist was basically saying that it's it's only now that things are coming to a head, you know, after this COVID yeah. business. It's only now that things are, are beginning to hit hit home you touched on VAT there and, and POA PRSI there a while ago there's been a lot of warehousing of VAT mm. a lot of warehousing attacks that have has come now to bite people because they, they can't afford to do it in our industry a lot of salons are closing down simply because they can't get staff because a lot of the staff are working at home and um, they're still doing that are they? 100% yeah 100% and look I'm not here to judge you know mm. it, like it, everybody needs must but if we could have our hairdressers back in the salons operating as we did pre-COVID, you wouldn't see, you'd see very little of this drama happening of 
salons and businesses closing down and threatening to close down because they can't get staff. And it's not that the staff have gone to Australia or the States. It's just that a lot of people just got not lazy. Lazy is the wrong word, but they kind of got comfortable working from home. Mm. And, you know, financially, is it better? Are they better off? You know, is it black market? Is it not? I don't know. Yeah. Again, I'm not here to judge, but it has really, really hurt the industry. And it's not just our industry. I'm sure it's hurt, you know, a lot of different industries, but ours in particular, because hair and beauty, well, hairdressing is is a unique kind of a business and you can cut somebody's hair in your kitchen, you know, yeah. and, and that's what's happening, you know, and that has happened. Now, thankfully, in Bellissimo, I don't think we lost anybody to COVID, as in lost anybody working from home that mm. didn't come back to work. But again, look at it. We have a lovely environment. I I re I spent a huge amount of money on Bellissimo during COVID. Totally revamped the salon. We spent best part of three hundred thousand euros, three hundred fifty thousand euros on on revamping the the salon. So the day that we opened after COVID, it was like walking into a Google office space. You know, everybody was so excited to be back, and I was just lucky that I got them all back and we're we're operating away since. You know, and plus we're kind of. We're getting new people all the time, you know. Mm. We've one or two new people started at Blissmo there recently and they're just absolutely incredible. So just lucky. But again, I could do with 10 more people. Yeah, know? yeah. There's a lovely story I heard. Uh, I hope I don't get you in trouble now for saying this. <laughs> but there was a, a, a hairdresser that you, you wanted to take on who you did. And they said, look, I'm working in this place. Mm -hmm. So if I'm going working with you, I want my customers be paying the rates that they were paying with me okay. not to be paying the higher end prices and you're like yeah that's fine yeah but that would have been okay that would be okay yeah, yeah that would be okay but I, I thought it was a it was a great mature yeah. open-minded attitude yeah. to have because yeah. what you were doing was you saw someone who was really good at what they did so you wanted them working with you yeah and if they were, were able to bring more customers into your door yeah. happy days happy days yeah. yeah now having said that it's it's a fine line now, this is going back years ago. This isn't uh, yeah. recently like, yeah, but yeah. it's just, I, I thought it was a great attitude yeah, to have yeah. and start off Bellissimo. I'd love to know who that was. <laughs> I go on tell me. <laughs> <laughs> I'll tell you off there because okay. I get them in trouble. <laughs> no, but you know, if somebody did come to Bellissimo and they did have, bring their clientele with them, of course, we're going to look after the clientele because it's like the more the merrier at mm. Bellissimo. You know, it's it, it again, a rising tide. It's, it's brilliant. But you do special promos and, you know, you mightn't automatically just set a price for one stylist. You can't really do that as such, you know, because it would be unfair on all the other clients, yeah. you know. But of course you do introductory offers and you'd you'd get people in the door, you know, try to get them in. And then, you see, a lot of people have never been at Bellissimo. They've never called into Bellissimo because they go to their other salon. But I can assure you that if you walked in the doors of Bellissimo, you would just go, wow. Mm. It's a wow factor. Yeah, yeah. It's just the most insane enormous there's a lovely giddiness in there isn't yeah there? Oh, it's, <laughs> it's it, there is and yeah. like I changed the sound system this year uh, Ron O'Connor O'Connor's did the I, I put in a, a new sound system in the building and you would not believe the atmosphere that it created it just changed the environment it just changed everything just a better base you know which which I love because you're constantly investing in the business or the experience oh, that yeah. the customer gets from the business because yeah, it's really important yeah you know like the sound system Okay, it cost it cost a lot of money, really, in the in the scheme of things, to put in a sound system into a hair salon. You're thinking, are you crazy? 
But I was never happy with this tinny sound that we were getting from the, the sound system that was there for years. And I'm feeling, no, I want something. I want like a Bose. I want, mm. Mm, mm, you know, I want that. So I put it in. Honestly, when you walk into the building and when that sound system is at the right volume, because I'm really particular about the volume of the sound, it has to be right. Like some girls like it really quiet. Yeah, depends yeah. who's working today. Yeah, yeah, some, yeah. you know, oh no, it's too loud. Yeah. It's like air conditioning yeah. in yeah. an office. There's always a fight. Who wants a cold and who wants oh, a warm? Don't go yeah. there with air conditioning. <laughs> <laughs> air conditioning in Belizebo is going to, there's going to be murder. <laughs> but again, it's all about the client experience. It's it's not about the the workers, yeah. you know, about the stylists. You you guys have to be comfortable, but this is about the client. The client is paying your wages. They have to be comfortable. They have to have the proper sound. They have to have the volume right. You know, you have a young team on today, this morning. The sound is up yeah, at yeah, max yeah. and it's all Kygo <laughs> and it's boom. You know, it's and then you get another team that mightn't be quite as young and the sound system is down a little bit and it's Frank's Richie Cavanagh or something. <laughs> I'm only joking. <laughs> it's not, but you know, it changes. Yeah. But you gotta you gotta go with the clients. You know, it's not so much going with the stylists, it's more the clients. So back in the late nineties. Celtic Tiger economy's booming really were beginning to notice the effects of it kind of in the late 90s because yeah. I remember myself I was just coming out of school going into college and there just there was this feeling anyways that there's an abundance of cash in society in the economy and it was never going to run out no one had any fear whatsoever that the money was going to stop coming out of the ATMs it was party central yeah. it, it was great run up in that era so obviously you had Money coming in, mm -hmm. strong clientele, yeah. and I suppose you base your targets every year on yeah. we're going to do better and better and better. Just constant influx of cash. Mm -hmm. So what's going on for you as a businessman at this stage where yeah. the world seems to be your oyster? Well, what's going on in my mind is I need to do more. I am always looking for something. I'm always looking for something external to do. Plus... You see, I'd stopped hairdressing as well. So I, I was managing the salon rather than I'm, I'm not cutting hair on the floor. Yeah. So I'm managing, I'm in the office, I'm doing my thing. You're thinking. And I'm thinking. And you get, you can do too much thinking, Gary. Okay. <laughs> and <laughs> so I decided, look, I'm doing great here. I have a management team set up. I don't need to be here morning, noon and night anymore. I can go off and I can explore different things. So I... Well, first of all, I started doing Christmas shops of all things. So of you might remember um, the old Bank of Ireland in not 19 Air Square, but the other one at the back of the Air Square Centre. When the Air Square Centre was being rebuilt, actually. Yes. So there was a big old Bank of Ireland there. So I went to Jerry Barrett at the time. He he actually was doing the redevelopment of the centre at the time. And I said, look, that unit, the bank is empty. Can I take it over for the Christmas period? And I start selling Christmas decorations. So, of course, my mom again, legend, got behind the Christmas <laughs> decorations and we went to Ch I went to China. I didn't physically go to China, but I put somebody on the case and went and I, I, I bought two or three container loads of Christmas decorations and Christmas lights and all sorts of stuff. And I opened up this big, massive, one of the biggest Christmas shops in, the, in Europe, <laughs> as far as I'm concerned, because that bank was a really big bank, if you remember. So I kitted it all out into a big, massive Christmas shop. And I ran that for, uh, I'd say about prob definitely two years, probably three. And then it was just yeah. empty then during the yeah, year. It was empty because the shopping centre was being rebuilt. Okay. It was it was where pennies, underneath where pennies is now, you know, that, right. that, uh, that ground floor area. So I definitely had it for 
two stroke three years and I did a Halloween shop there and I was doing all these kind of external businesses. Do you know what? It was it was actually keeping me busy. But going back to what you said there about cash, about money being there, you know, it was quite. Look, I didn't mind. I, I wanted to see profit, of course. You sell something, you buy it, you sell it, you make you make some money on it. But it was more about the fun of it and it was more about the excitement of doing something different. And OK, I made made money on it. I didn't lose money. I made money. I didn't I wouldn't retire on the money I was making from the Christmas shops. Mm. But it was it was great. And it kept me active and kept me doing different things. But then in 2006 ish, I can't really remember what year. I think it was 2006. Um, a guy came to me as an opportunity of opening or to, to buy the Central Tavern in Lock, Terry Brennan's in Lock George. Yeah. So I thought, right, okay, this is this is interesting. So entering, it's getting into the pub trade, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, pub restaurant. Sure, I know everything about on the other side of the counter. <laughs> Wasn't it the dream, though, for, yeah, for well, so many of us it, having a pub? It was, yeah, yeah, it was, it was. Like you know, at the time, it was actually kind of exciting. The kids were very small. I live an exciting life anyway, Gary. I'm always doing something, and I said, ah, do you know what? Feck it. We, we'll go for this. But I spent a lot of millions on that now and I lost a serious amount of millions because of it. But I opened up the business. Um, I bought it from Terry Brennan at the time, spent quite a bit of money on the on the building, ran it for about a year myself. And this was a busy spot. Oh yeah, this place. seriously busy. Yeah. Seriously busy. Now, okay, it was coming to the end of the Celtic Tyre era. Breakfast rolls were huge at the time, mm. you know, the the breakfast roll was a big thing. Yeah. So I had this idea of opening a breakfast roll stop out there and, you know, because you have all the trucks passing on that road every day. I had all these ideas and ambitions. But anyway, I ran the business for about a year and it actually did very well. And, and had the smoking profit. ban come in at this stage? Um, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. There, was, there was no, definitely. Yeah, there, okay. there was no smoking. Because this but, for me, that's one of the, the nails the in the coffin for yeah. the pub business. Yeah, yeah and I absolutely was. But no, there was no smoking that time. But um. But I ran, I ran the business for a year and it did very well, um, turned a profit year one and then moved into year two and it was doing quite well. But then I just, I started to get bored of it because it was taking a lot of my time. There was, a, you know, there was, look, a, a pub is a different type of business to hairdressing, obviously. Mm. And it's, I was out there a lot of nights and I don't know, it just, it just wasn't floating my boat. So I decided I was, I decided to lease out the premises. And the guys that were running it, they were great guys. Everything was fine. They paid their rents. But then, look, the economy just crashed in 2000 and, oh, 2008, 2009. Mm. Um, the economy literally, as we all know, everything, we, we all fell to our knees because, yeah. oh my God, I will never forget it. But I owed a lot of millions at that time, Gary, um, with different things. You know, I owned, I bought different properties around the town and, of course, Lock George was a huge three or four million euros invested out there. You know, it's a lot of money. And but probably 2009, I'd say 2010, the banks closed in on me and on everybody else. Again, for people who may not have been around during that era, like I, I know a friend who bought an apartment and the bank was offering them money to buy a second apartment. Subsequently, oh, yeah. when the crash came, they lost that apartment. Yeah. But, you know, there was this feeling of constant money floating around coming in that no one had a fear of money running out and certainly the banks didn't seem to have that fear either no. but banks were easily giving loans oh, yeah, apps oh jesus absolutely i mean there were so many times i went for a particular loan and i'd end up get, coming out with a new car 
you yeah. know, like silly things, you know, like it was it was just crazy times. Like we'll never recover from it. I mean, mm. it was crazy, crazy times. I don't know, was it that they were the bonuses that were being paid in banks or what it was, but you couldn't walk into a bank looking for a hundred grand without coming out with 150. Yeah. It was just, it was par for the course. And fortunately at the time, but unfortunately in hindsight, I was one of those victims that the banks were willing to lend to because I suppose I'd proven myself in business over the years. And, you know, I was with like, I was at the same bank for years and they believed in me. So when I went to them about the pub, for instance, they believed in me. Yeah. When I went to them about different projects, like buying a unit in Lisbon, they believed in me, even though I was paying twice the price, you know, I was paying 100% more than I should have been paying. The banks believed in me. Now, that's it was, I was very fortunate that I could get my hands on money at the time, but unfortunate in hindsight. Mm. And once the bank, once things crashed, once we all fell to our knees, um, oh, my God, uh, it was frightening. So just to explain then, so you bought the the bar in Lock George yeah. for three, yeah. three something million, three something million. Yeah. And then the crash happens. Yeah. Yeah. And the banks are saying, OK, we need our money. Yeah. And you're obviously the business isn't as lucrative as it was. Yeah. And you're saying, well, I don't have three million in cash to exactly. pay back or yeah. whatever. Or I'm falling behind in rent. Yeah. So then what the bank does is they seize your property. Correct. Yeah, that's what happened. And then they just sell it off and for a fraction. Yeah, they appointed on that particular part of my portfolio, we'll say at the time, they would have appointed a receiver at the time to Lock George and so therefore I'm out now and the receiver is in and then it's up to the receiver to do whatever he wants to get the money back for the bank. But I'm still on the hook for all the money. Yeah, <laughs> that's yeah, owed. Yeah. So whatever the receiver sells it for comes off your debt, but you're still on the hook for the balance. I mean, you know, it's uh, <laughs> that's the way it works. Yeah. And of course, because there's no money around at this stage, yeah, sure, the receiver's the, going very, very low at what they're selling for just to oh, yeah, sell. Absolutely. And get something for the yeah. bank. Well, the bank would have been owed three point something million or whatever it was at the time for that particular property. And they sold it for 280,000 at auction. So they got less than 10%. So you still owe three million? In, in theory, yeah. Yeah. But I was very, 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 very lucky with the people I was dealing with at the banks. They were exceptionally helpful. I mean, you hear everybody giving out about the banks yeah. at the time. But I'll tell you, I was the opposite because I had more meetings in the banks, um, Ulster Bank at the time. Honestly, they brought me in. They sat around a table like this. I cried. We, I said, look, I don't know what I'm going to do here. But it was all worked out. And I actually managed and negotiated and managed and negotiated my way around it. The debt would have been sold to a vulture fund. And then I'd have to deal with the vulture fund. So it kind of came away from the bank's mm. desk. But yet the bank were really helpful with advice, with care. They, they were uh, like, I really mean it. Uh, it's Ulster Bank at the time were my bankers. Yeah. Uh, they're not anymore, obviously, and they're, they're gone now anyway. But some of the people in there were just so helpful. There's a lady there, Myra Mahan. She was my first banker, actually, for Bellissimo back in the day. But she kind of banked me all the way through. But my God, the help and the support and Mervyn Duggan, like these guys, the people don't don't know mm. what these bankers did for people. Like, OK, everybody gives out about them. But when you're sitting on the other side of the table, when you're you're talking millions and millions and millions of euros on the desk here, like they were so helpful. Like yeah. the advice I got, don't mind your college, the, the, the help and the advice I got from these people about 
how to navigate my way out of this. And luckily I did. But, but I did but, a lot of other stuff, you know. Yeah, but you've you've yeah. millions now in debt mm-hmm. that are probably taken over by various vulture funds. Yeah, yeah. And you're in a recession. Mm. Yeah, I... <laughs> <laughs> you just have to negotiate your way around it, Gary, you know, and... Because it, like, yeah. this happened to a lot of people, especially a lot of yeah. developers as well yeah. around the country, but it happened to loads of people in business. And for some people, you know, the, the end was very tragic yeah. because they couldn't take mm. the pressure and the stress. Mm. Like, how did you even just personally deal? Because you have a young family yeah. now as well. Two very young kids, like six and seven and eight, probably at that age, at that stage, you know. And I'm lying in bed at night. Now, I always said that I didn't lose a night's sleep over it. But of course, I lost lots of fucking night's sleep over mm. it, you know. But I'd never tell Maria I was losing light sleep over yeah. it because I was getting up every day. I'm an early riser. I'm not going to lie down here. I'm going to fight my way out of this. But I would end up with a lot of money owed to a particular bank or to a vulture fund. But there would be an, uh, maybe a property attached to it. So I'd negotiate with the vulture fund, negotiate with the and say, look at lads, I don't have anything. You cannot take blood. You can't get blood from a stone. This is what we have. This property here in Lisbon, for instance, with an associated debt of a lot of millions or, you know, tied to it, I'll give, I'll sell that property. You can have all the money. I don't want anything. Obviously, I don't want, I'm not going to get anything from it. I don't want anything from it. Sell the property and I'll give you a token payment of whatever. And that's basically the way, the way I had to do it. I, you will not get blood out of a stone. And I think the vulture funds, I think the banks, everybody knew that. And I think even at the start of this process, not just me, but everybody else when, when, the, when the crash happened, they knew that from day one, that they're not going to get all of these trillions back from people because yeah. there were trillions out there. Trillions and trillions and trillions of euros were given to people. It's like this Trump thing that's going on at the moment about him over overvaluing yeah. Yeah, his properties. Like, I don't know the story with Trump, but like it was very similar in Ireland. People were valuing their properties way too high and people were paying way too much and the banks knew it. But yet... They kept lending and lending and lending and everybody knew it was going to happen. In fact, way before the crash, I tried to sell everything. I actually went through the process of selling different things, you know, including Lock George, Inclu- you know, including. Because you had a feeling that. I, it, it, had to, it had it was only going to go one way, Gary. It was mm-hmm. going to go south for everybody. And I could see it. I think everybody could see it. But just some people were faster than others to. But even when I did try to sell, there weren't buyers out there anyway. So it was a really ridiculously inflated economy mm. because people were saying, OK, that building is worth 500,000. You'll get 500,000 all day long for it. And you try and sell it, you won't get 500,000 for it. You'll yeah. be lucky if you get 200,000 for it or 300,000 for it. So the buyers weren't there, you know, and it was all this big, it was a, it was all magic. It was all up in the sky, a big fairy tale. Yeah. And unfortunately for me, like it was a stupid move for me to get involved in this kind of stuff that I knew nothing about. I mean, why was I out in Lock George having buying a pub? You know, how ridiculous is that when I look back on it? Mm -hmm. But then again, I was a young, ambitious guy that just um, was doing pretty well in business. So I wanted to do something different. Yeah. But it was it was it was crazy. I was just very fortunate that Bellissimo stayed on four legs and to this day and I touch wood that it has always been my savior. I had to make some very radical decisions, very tough decisions at Bellissimo over the last number of years to navigate my way through 
this problem. But I have finally, finally, I could see the light a few years ago and finally, 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 I came out of the woods. And luckily, and touch wood, I still, I still have debt. I still owe money to banks, but it's all very manageable and it's all very comfortable. Do you know? Mm. Now, okay, interest rates have gone through the roof where we're working off trackers. Now, we're not working off trackers. We are working off trackers, but we're we're working off five percent, ten ten increases in 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 as you know, in, two in, years in, or so. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's I don't know how people are going to get through that either. Now that's that's another. This is going to happen. There is going to be another big major crash. There has to be. Yeah, because people cannot afford to pay from zero percent to five percent on trackers. It's just not affordable. People's salaries are going on their mortgages and and nothing left to live. You know, so I don't know. I we'll we'll talk again in another year. Yeah. We'll see what has actually happened. But yeah, so I just had to navigate my way through it, and finally did. But like I did some kind of crazy things, but things that worked for me as well. Like for instance, when the shit hit the fan, I still have had a life to live. I have two kids. I have a mortgage, a wife, a family. You know, I I have to live. So the income was quite low because I had to take. I cut at Bellissimo I had to do all these things just to survive but I started to I I, I woke up one morning as I contacted a big coal company in the north up in Donegal and I bought two or three container loads of coal and I brought them down brought down containers of coal and I was driving a Q7 at the time I always remember it <laughs> had a big trailer on the back and myself and Mikey Jr who was only about seven <laughs> about seven years of age and we drove around Barna and Furbo and Spiddle and I delivered coal for about two so two winters. Every night I'd have 50 bags of coal in the trailer and I'd drive up the country road selling coal to neighbours and people and whatever just to keep the show on the road. But that's that's me. I won't sit down and let things, ha- you know. Some people wouldn't do so. that over pride. You know, to be afraid of the neighbours seeing that, oh, yeah. they're not as fancy as they think they are yeah. type thing. Do you know what, Gary? At the time, I didn't give a bollocks. Mm. If somebody wanted to judge me on me getting up and putting on a boiler suit and loading up 50, 50, 40 kg bags of coal, which is no easy task, kept me very fit and bringing my seven year old with me with a hand trolley and delivering coal to a house in the back roads of Furbo in two foot of snow to collect my money to keep food on the table for my kids. Now, I'm not trying to make out that I was a pauper here now. Mm. You know what I mean? Don't don't get me wrong. I'm not looking for sympathy or any of that kind of thing. I'm not looking to be, oh, you're a great lad. But that's the way I was. I, I got up and I went and I bought coal and I delivered coal. And you know what? I got more compliments about it than I did about, neg- you know. Yeah. Okay, I bet you people were schkitherin' and, sh- you know, schkitherin' behind my back and saying, what's that eejit at? And I have a, a super hair salon business going there. You know, times were really tough mm. and I had huge repayments to make. But I wasn't going to let anybody down, including my kids and my, my and Maria. So I got up and I sold coal. And of course, Maria was working for Jerry Barrett, right. the developer as well. And for, I'd say, probably every developer yeah. and nearly every developer in the country, they were also yeah. up against it as well because suddenly properties yeah. weren't worth what they were yeah. worth today before. So I'm sure Absolutely. Uh, her position as well was kind of mm unknown in that industry. Yeah. And she, I can't remember what year it was, but she was made redundant back, oh, uh, 
I can't even remember what year, but it would have been around this time. Mm. It was definitely around the period of time that I'm talking about here because it was like a double hit. You know, it was my business was gone tits up. Yeah. Maria was made redundant. Like, it and was, there's no work out there. No work out there. It was the perfect storm. The perfect storm. And that's what happened. But like, it's not just us. It was every, like so many people went through this. Like, I was just lucky enough that I was strong enough to survive and strong enough to get out of my bed in the morning because I don't stay in bed in the morning. I get up and I'll get out there and I will do something to make sure that I'm going to pay my mortgage or pay my my debt, mm -hmm. you know. And, and Maria is the exact same. She, But having said that, it was a big whammy. It was a big blow to our house when when Maria's income stopped, you know. I mean, obviously, it's a big blow to anybody. It's, we're double income families, you yeah. know, and we've lived a double income life and all of a sudden it's gone. Like it's, it's, it's a big deal, you know, but look, we survived and we got through it and I sold coal <laughs> and I don't care if anybody was skittering behind my yeah, back. Yeah. You know, you didn't sell coal, but I was getting my four euros or five euros a bag. and I was happy with myself. I did all these things just to survive, you know. So now we're, we're going through a stage where the economy is apparently good and strong. You know, we're at the, the yeah. lowest unemployment rate ever in the history of the state. Yeah. We're certainly not in a recession like some of our neighbours in Europe, yeah. which is good. But how do you approach that now during these so-called good times, having gone through them previously in the mm. late 90s? You know what? It's it's They're good times, but they're not good times because it is a very difficult environment for business. Do you know what? I actually think it's more difficult now than it has ever been in the 35 years that I've been in business for people. I, I really think... Because there's no credit out there. When I when I look at my own business, I'm I'm a I'm a 100 payer. You know, I I pay on the day that it's due. Nobody's ever left waiting for money if we deal with the embellismo. You know, it's you're paid on the day, within 30 days or whatever the yeah. terms are. But I was looking at it recently with with Pauline, the girl that manages the accounts at Bellissimo, and we've discovered that we don't have credit with anybody anymore except for one or two of our big suppliers, because we've kind of changed the whole system. We now pay COD, but it's not that we've been asked to. It's just it's the way our business has transformed and has changed in the last couple of years. Mm. Uh, there's Dimpna, Dimpna Coin is, yeah. you know, Dimps, you actually you met Dimps that day. She's just incredible. She's with me for 25 years, but she manages and runs Bellissimo. Literally, single-handedly, I'm in the office, I'm her support, but she runs the show. But this is her way of thinking that we don't need, we don't want, and we're not going to take credit if we can get away with it. But I will guarantee you, Gary, if I went out there and asked any company for credit, give me 30 days, give me 60 days, it'd be a flat no, because nobody can afford to give credit anymore. And that is a serious problem for business. Mm. Like nobody gives credit and nobody can afford to give credit. But then again, when you're in business, do you really want credit? You're better off not to have credit. You're yeah. better off to be working off your own, work off your cash flow if you can. 100%, yeah. And that's what I try to do. Even if the bank is low, I'm happy for it to be low, but everybody paid, yeah. you know. When Dimpin is outside yeah. running the show mm -hmm. and you're inside in the office and you're back thinking again, yeah. <laughs> what are you thinking about now? What I'm thinking about now is thinking about not thinking. <laughs> <laughs> no, what I'm thinking about is Mikey Jr.'s future. I think that's what I'm thinking. Like he's 19. He's incredibly ambitious young fella. And like I, I see the excitement in his eyes when I'm talking to him about hairdressing, about he's a barber. He 
as I said, he's he actually works in Sean's Sean Cozzy's. Oh, okay, yeah. yeah. He rents his little space from Sean, and I think what I'm thinking when I'm in the office thinking is I'm thinking about what he's thinking and <laughs> and what he should be thinking. Because and, you, you know, know, with respect, you're 35 years in business, and yeah, we all get to the stage, and the earlier one thinks about it, probably better. Of what do I want to do with this business? Do I want to yeah. sell it on? Do I liquidate? Mm, what do you do? Yeah. yeah. Well, I know with me, you see, I suppose I'm, again, I'm, ver- I'm very fortunate that Dimps runs the show. And she, like, if if Dimps was to go in the morning, it would be a different story. Yeah. Like, honestly, my, my whole business thoughts and processes and business model would change if Dimps was to decide to go in the morning. Right now, we have an exceptionally close relationship. She's worked with me for a lot of years and we're best friends. And like, I know she's very happy where she is. So I'm okay to say that. (laughs) I hope (laughs) if you're listening, dips. (laughs) So therefore, it makes it much easier for me that I don't have to consider maybe in five years time that I'm getting too old and I'm getting tired. I'm 55 now. So when I get to 60, will I be too old and too tired? But it's not me. It's it's the team. If, are the team getting too old and too tired? Now, Dimps is a young girl. She's a, she's a young woman and she has a lot of years left mm-hmm. in her. And like, look, we work so well together, you know. She's actually director of the company as well. And oh, yeah, and she's an absolutely amazing girl. So look, is she going to have a change of career? I, I don't, I would hope not. Yeah. But it'll be, it'll be her running the show for the next 20 years. Mikey Jr., I can't, I don't know, his, his business is different because he's into men's hair, men's grooming. Yeah. And look, he'll have, he has his own ambitions and I have ambitions for him. I probably have more ambitions for him than he has for himself about where he can go with that because he can he can change the hairdressing model f- for men like I changed the yeah, hairdressing yeah, yeah. model for women. Like Bellissimo was such an, uh, an amazing change. It was, a, it was a brand new concept. But there's concepts out there for men as well, you know, that, yeah. you know, and it's nice creating it yourself rather than being handed it with respect you know like I mean you probably enjoyed Hmm. starting off in Cross Street and just crafting on your own absolutely and I couldn't imagine myself doing anything else Gary Hmm. like I bound into Blissmore every morning with a smile on my face you know and I'm known a smiler anyway to my (laughs) friends when we were kids I used to be called Smiley (laughs) Kelly actually growing up yeah (laughs) go away Well, a friend, we were. And we both grew up in Newcastle. Uh, yeah, yeah. There you go. Yeah. We did. Yeah. But a friend of mine, we were away at the Rugby World Cup last week, and we were nine nights, ten nights, nine lads. And we got up one morning, and one of the lads said to me, "Jesus, you had a few pints last night." And I said, "How do you mean? How do you like?" I was minding myself, yeah, yeah. and he said, uh, "Oh yeah," he said, "Your smile." <laughs> <laughs> you had twice the size of a smile as you normally have. So I, <laughs> so I knew you had too many vines on you. <laughs> but you know what? It's You have to just enjoy life and just yeah. enjoy. And I just love my job. I love going into Bellissimo. I love the the loyalty in there. I have a, such a creative team, a beautiful gang of girls that work with me, young girls to senior girls. We're all best friends. And it's lovely. So everybody gets on so well. 
over the years, you'd have, you know, you'd have kind of mishmash of personalities. And like, it's very hard to have 40 women because there were 40 people there. More I could imagine, like I have two daughters and that's, yeah. that's tough as it is. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. With the well, fights put, and the arguments. Yeah, well, there you go. <laughs> Multiply that by 20. Um, like when you've approximately 40 people, 40 women and different personalities and there is four lads. And personal issues going on as well oh, yeah, in their 100%. own lives, you know. Yeah, absolutely. And totally acceptable. You mm. know, like people come into work today and the shit has happened at home yeah. or whatever's happened. Everybody says, leave it at the door. It's very hard to leave it at the door. I mean, you're, if you're down in the dumps, you're down in the dumps. Yeah. And like when you deal with that amount of people there, it's completely understandable when somebody comes in in bad mood or mm. bad form or whatever, something happened at home or something happened outside work. We get it. I get it. We all get it. Um, but luckily in Touchwood, we were the last two years. Honestly, I could tell you I couldn't even count on one hand how many tiffs have happened, not to mind arguments, because it's just a lovely environment. And therefore, for me to retire at 60 or 65 or 70, I find it very hard. When I'm 75, I'll still be going in there chatting to the young ones and enjoying that mm. crack and encouraging them. And, you know, and like a lot of salons have opened because of Bellissimo as well. You know, there's been loads of people have gone off and opened their own businesses after working with us and working with me and you know and I'd encourage everybody and I demand loyalty yeah. it's one of the biggest things that in my life like if you're not loyal to me cross that line and it's all over but you give me loyalty and the gang at Bellissimo have all every single person that's in there have given me that loyalty that I've always commanded and expected and wanted but I give it back tenfold, mm. you know, and I've been known to do that. Like it's I'm the least greediest person on the planet to my detriment. <laughs> <laughs> you know, people have taken my kindness as weakness over yeah, the years yeah. and like, but I'm not stupid and I've seen that and, you know, I've had to sh rid myself of those issues over the years because my kindness is there to help people because I've like my mam my mam was an absolute legend I keep referring to my mom because I have a photograph over here in front of me yeah because I asked you and to bring uh, in uh, yeah. something today yeah and you brought in if you that's, hold it up there to oh, yeah. this camera here hold up that camera <laughs> it's the original photo that's that's when Michael Daniels opened first in um, 1988 and that's my magical mam Narina and my dad Mike who's still around Brilliant. my best friend and they're all my six brothers wow legends that's Ken he's an accountant on the tumor road um, Ken O'Connor and co Ray is there we were talking about Ray a yeah. while ago there's me and the lads Johnny Colin Evan Alan where's Alan he's there somewhere but they're just great lads we were very 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 close family growing up in Greenfields and it all came from that woman there that's brilliant. Oh, yeah. She's an amazing woman. So look at it's what it's about. Yeah. yeah family. Yeah. And loyalty. And like, I think our my loyalty came from living in that house with that gang of people. They now I did leave when I was young. I left the house when I was about 16, maybe ish. Wow. Yeah, I was very young leaving. But I grew up in a fantastic house with a fantastic man, my dad. Dad was the best man at my wedding which is very unusual yeah. Yeah, to have your dad as your best man. Yeah. But um, we grew up in a great house, very close bond. And I think I brought that into my business life all the way through. You know, it's a family and it genuinely is a family. Well, Mike, thank you so much for coming in well, Gary, and talking to me today. I'm Gary Talks. Thoroughly enjoyed it. Well, I hope I didn't over talk. It was, it was an adventure <laughs> listening to you. Gary, you're very welcome.
I enjoyed it. 